The podcast world is growing bigger every day, and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and they are adding cool new features every day. Go to your app store and download Himalaya. That's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A. And don't forget to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 133 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Sunday, March 24th, 2019. My name is Josh, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike, who is feeling a little understandably despondent over the loss of his debit card. How's that how, How's that whole situation going, Mike? Well, I didn't really want to talk about it. I was trying to, like, keep my mind off of it, but, you know. Mike, this is it, a very it's... therapeutic atmosphere, and you're going to want to get <laughs> things off your chest. It's the best healing that can happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike is being very cooperative. Um, well, we'll talk about me then, since Mike's being all sourpuss over here. Uh, I... Just had a show in Tampa last night at a place called The Blue Note. And um, yeah, I think it was one of the longest drives me and Stephanie ever took for uh, a gig. Uh, it was a three. Would you, have go- would you have gone to the place if it was called The Brown Note? Uh, I would have I would have already had been there. This would not be my first time going if it was called The Brown Note because I would have frequented it so much. Um I'm sorry, that was a crappy thing to say. <laughs> wah, wah. No, anyway, um, no, that was uh, that was the farthest we've ever driven for a gig before. It was three, like three and a half hours. Uh, fuck Orlando traffic uh, because Tampa is, is south of Jacksonville, so we had to drive down through Orlando, and I had to deal with the mouse and all the bullshit that the mouse has uh, stirred up down there with all these fuckers from all over the place. First of all, Jacksonville has almost a million people who live there, and there's too much goddamn traffic, and I wish the people would fuck the fuck off. But no, more people keep moving here, and you know, whatever, free country, but good lord. The crazy thing about Orlando is it, a, a, a fourth of the people live in Orlando that live in Jacksonville, but the traffic is equally as crappy because you have so many outsiders coming in. So we had to make it through that. And, you know, anytime you take these long road trips, man, like I don't know how people who are constantly on the road, I don't know how they do it because I'm like, maybe because like I was in a bad car wreck a few years ago, but anytime I'm on the road and I'm on the highway, it, it just seems like all the cars are following too damn close to each other constantly. And I'm thinking to myself, all someone has to do is make one wrong move and it's going to cause like a 50 car pileup and the fatalities. And I start thinking all that way. And it's like it gets, starts getting me freaked out. I mean, I, I guess you got to like step back, you know, at a certain point, and just be like, you know, chill out and keep your wits about you and you should be fine. But yeah, get, being on the road is something that I'm definitely going to have to get more used to. And, and as we as a band, my band Dancing with Ghosts with my uh, singer, Stephanie, uh, we're, as we as we continue doing that more, we're just going to have to get used to traveling on the road and just doing that. But it was really cool once we got to Tampa and being able to like really 
be in another city and be around different people in a different place and play our music and chat with, you know, some of the other bands there. Like that was all really great. It would have been nice if we'd sold a little bit more merch. I mean, honestly, uh, our shows that we do locally, we usually sell a lot of CDs, a lot of t-shirts and all that. And, and that's honestly folks, how bands make their money nowadays is by selling merch because it sure as hell isn't from getting paid from the door. Uh, venues just don't pay that well usually. Um, but yeah, we did that. And then I stupidly decided to drive home that night. Uh, I mean, I guess it wasn't that stupid because if we had waited till today to drive home, you know, I'd be late probably doing the podcast if I'd even be able to do it at all. And uh, yeah, it wouldn't have been it, my day would have been sucked up a lot quicker. But anyway, uh, I felt like I almost fell asleep at the wheel last night. Didn't, but I, I, you know, I don't know. I thought I was a better night driver. I really did. Um, and there was a certain point when I was like 10, 15 minutes away from the house. I was like, dude, this is like bad. Like I'm really f- fading right now. And Stephanie was already asleep in the passenger side. She had done most of the driving. So I finally took over and yeah, it wasn't smart, but <laughs> live and learn. So that's been my past few kind of days and where my mind's been at. And after this podcast, we're going to have to start working on our music video that we need to get out as soon as possible. Oh, and we also had a botched album release. It was supposed to release on all digital platforms the 22nd, but because our distribution site fucked up, our album didn't get released when it was supposed to. And a lot of websites were like, you know, going to do write-ups and reviews on it, and it didn't come out on time, and it's still not out on Spotify and iTunes like it was supposed to be. So I'm trying to not have a meltdown over that, but uh, I guess we all have shit going on in our lives. Um, so today we're going to be talking about Jack the Ripper. This is uh, this was a Mike idea. Um, be- yep. There was a break in the case recently, so that's what mm-hmm. kind of sparked the whole thing. So we're going to give you the rundown, and then we'll give you the update. Mike, you can... Yep, so, as usual, we're looking from the Wikipedia page. We're going to take turns uh, ripping into Jack the Ripper. Oh. So, start out with the murders. So, the large number of attacks against women in the East End during this time adds uncertainty to how many victims were killed by the same person. 11 11 separate murders stretching from April 3rd to 1888 to February 13th of 1891 were included in a London Metropolitan Police Service investigation and were known collectively in the police docket as the Whitechapel murders. Opinions vary as to whether these murders should be linked to the same culprit, but five of the 11 Whitechapel murders, known as the Canonical Five, are widely believed to be the work of Jack the Ripper. Most experts point to deep throat slashes, abdominal and genital area mutilation, removal of internal organs, and progressive facial mutilations as the distinctive features of the Ripper's modus operandi. Now, that was gru- that's that's it's extremely gruesome uh in any era. But uh definitely something that they rarely ever saw back in that particular time period. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of um, the Elliot Ness case on Unsolved Mysteries, uh, where you had the Butcher of Kingsbury Run, that that, yeah. that segment that they did. 
And well, ha- speaking of that, speaking of Unsolved Mysteries, I'm surprised Unsolved Mysteries never tried to do a segment on Jack the Ripper. Yeah, that's another one that's that that would have been ripe for them to do. I mean, probably if they were going to do it, they would have had to have done it in the first few seasons when they had a bigger budget. Yeah, uh, because typically Unsolved Mysteries, when they could, they'd like to actually go to the location where the thing happened and film there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did that. They did that a lot. Um, yeah. So the closest that we still we have uh, to date uh, to uh, Unsolved Mysteries Jack the Ripper thing is the parody in uh, Amazon Women on the Moon, uh, which is called Bullshit or Not. You got Henry Silva in a trench coat, and he's talking about you know the, the theory that the Loch Ness monster was Jack the Ripper. <laughs> It just cracks me up thinking about it because it's just such a hilarious, uh, just absurdity. Um, they have like a, a the giant uh, Loch Ness monster wearing like uh, Victorian era clothes and shit. Oh God! Yeah, that's silly. It's silly, but it's funny. So, um, this is not silly, and this is not funny. Funny at all, really. Despite my voice cracking. So. <clears throat> so. The first two cases in the Whitechapel murders file. Those of Emma Elizabeth Smith and Marfa Tabram. Are not included in the canonical five. Smith was robbed and sexually assaulted in Osborne Street, Whitechapel. On April 3rd, 1988. 1988. 1988 would have been even crazier. Uh, because of the fact that it was, oh my god, the Ripper's back. He's time traveling. And he's, he's got a DeLorean. And he's wearing sunglasses and a sports jacket with the sleeves rolled up now. <laughs> so a blunt object was inserted into her vagina, rupturing her peritoneum. I don't even know what that is. She developed peritonitis and died the following day oh, at London Hospital. Ah, damn, that sounds unpleasant. She said that she had been attacked by two or three men, one of whom was a teenager. The attack was linked to later murders by the press, but most offers attributed it to gang violence unrelated to the Ripper case. Tabram was killed on August 7th, 1888. She had suffered 39 stab wounds. The savagery of the murder, the lack of obvious motive, and the closeness of the location, George Yard Whitechapel, and date to those of the later Ripper murders led police to link them. The attack differs from the canonical murders in, in that Tabram was stabbed rather than slashed at the throat and abdomen, and many experts do not connect it with the later murders because of the difference in the wound pattern. The canonical five Ripper victims are Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. Nichols' body was discovered at 3.40 a.m. on Friday the 31st of August in 1888 in Row, now Durard Street, in Whitechapel. The throat was severed by two cuts, and the lower part of the abdomen was partly ripped open by a deep, jagged wound. Ah, God damn. Several, several other incisions on the abdomen were caused by the same knife. Chapman's body was discovered at about 6 a.m. on Saturday the 8th of September, in 1888, near a doorway in the backyard of 29 Hanbury Street, Spitalfields. As in the case of Mary Ann Nichols, the throat was severed by two cuts. The abdomen was slashed entirely open, 
and it was later discovered that the uterus had been removed. At the inquest, one witness described seeing Chapman at about 5.30 a.m. with a dark-haired man of shabby, genteel appearance. I mean, the, the, I mean, it's bad enough that they're getting mutilated and just slashed up, but, like, just removing organs? Like, why? Yeah, this guy was clearly someone who was into it uh, as, like, a sport, you know? Like, it, it was, it, like, the true, like, sociopath, psycho, you know, serial killer in yeah. every sense. And... In all honesty, it, it sounds a lot like a um, something that a surgeon, like some kind of you know a disgraced surgeon, would uh, take pride in, and that that's and a lot of people looked at prime suspects of people who were you know they knew how to use a scalpel, they knew the the anatomy because somebody had to have known. Like this is just some random. A guy who doesn't know where the uterus is, you know, like you have to have knowledge of the of the human body, <clears throat> and especially you know the the female genitalia to be able to do stuff like that. Yeah, female reproductive system. So Stride and Eddowes were killed in the early morning of Sunday the thirtieth of September, eighteen eighty eight. Stride's body was discovered at about one a.m. in Duff Dutfield's yard off Burner Street, now Henrik Street, in Whitechapel. The cause of, de the cause of death was one clear-cut incision, which severed the main artery on the left side of the neck. The absence of mutilations to the abdomen has led to the uncertainty about whether Stride's murder should be attributed to the Ripper or whether he was interrupted during the attack. Witnesses thought they saw Stride with a man earlier that night, but gave differing descriptions. Some said that her companion was fair, others dark, some said that he he was shabbily dressed. Others said he was well dressed. Do you want to? Yeah, I'm almost done. Take I'm, it I'm, here. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> Guess you got another edit there. All right. <clears throat> Hold on. Okay. Yeah. No. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Keep Edowes's body was found in Mitchery Square in the city of London three quarters of an hour after strides. The throat was severed and the abdomen was ripped open by a long, deep, jagged wound. The left kidney and major, a major part of the uterus had also been removed. A local man named Joseph Lawindy had passed through the square with two friends shortly before the murder, and he described seeing a fair-haired man of shabby appearance with a woman who may have been Eddowes. His companions were unable to confirm his description. Eddowes and Stride's murders were later called the double event. Part of Eddowes's bloodied apron was found at the entrance to a tenement in Goulston Street, Whitechapel. It's pretty uh, fitting that it was found in Goulston Street. It was a very ghoulish uh, affair and a very ghoulish crime. So some writing on the wall above the apron piece became known as the Goulston Street Graffito and seemed to implicate a Jew or Jews, but it was unclear whether the graffito was written by the murder murderer as he dropped the apron piece or was merely incidental. Such graffiti was, was commonplace in Whitechapel. Police Commissioner Charles Warren feared that the graffito might spark anti-Semitic riots and ordered it washed away before dawn. So, like, I don't understand 
I don't I've never understand what people have against the Jews. I all the the anti-symmetry going on symmetry whatever. Sounds like it's like not uh symmetric. Yeah, symmetrical, yeah. whatever. Uh you know anti-semitic. Anti-semitic. There you go. Like I don't understand that. Like I never have. Like what a what pro like I mean, yeah, I, I get that if you're Jewish, it's a religion, but it's also kind of like a race at the same time. It's like, well, I think part of it is there are people who think that the Jews killed Jesus. So there's that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not even going to go down that road because I, I, so there's like a religious sort of thing, a connotation to that. And like you mentioned the race thing as well. So, but like there's so many people who are Jewish or they're, or that they could be Jewish, but you would never know because they don't, yeah, quote unquote, look Jewish. So like, how do they even like? I mean, I guess they would check. Like, uh, like I thought about like Nazi Germany. Like, what if the? Well, yeah, look what they did with Jews. Well, like, it was just a way for Hitler to continue to rise to power and to find something to blame for the fall of Germany. Yeah, but I'm like thinking like some of those Jewish people probably looked similar to like, you know just other germans yeah other germans so how like how did they how could they tell and like just well they could tell because of pro i i think it was uh due to uh they knew stuff about you know their religion you know the, the a lot of them had uh things that they would wear that would determine that they were jews i think another thing is they did like a, g- a genetic thing they did genetic testing i mean they did a lot of that kind of stuff so to look for like certain factors that determined uh a jew from an aryan so to speak yeah yeah before i go any further down that road of not knowing what uh, my history enough to uh even make any more statements about that i'll read this next sentence uh kelly's mutilated and disemboweled body good lord was this show the photo oh yeah it is Oh, Ugh. oh, they do show it. Oh, oh, holy shit. That doesn't even look like a person anymore. Nope. Jesus Christ. Uh, her body was discovered uh, lying on the bed in the single room where she lived at 13 Miller's Court off Dorset Street, Spitalfields at 1045 a.m. on Friday, November 5th, 1888. I did the same thing. 19, and it was ninth. The ninth, not the fifth. Oh, but. Uh, yeah, just completely <laughs> made up a different number there. The throat had been severed down to the spine Ooh. and the abdomen almost emptied of its organs. What the fuck? The heart was missing. The canonical five murders were perpetuated at night on or close to a weekend, either at the end of the month or week after. The uh, mutilations became increasingly severe as a series of murders proceeded, except for that of Stride, whose attacker may have been interrupted. Nicholas was not missing any organs. Chapman's uterus was taken. Eddowes had her uterus and a kidney removed and her face mutilated, and Kelly's body was eviscerated and her face hacked away, though only her heart was missing from the crime scene. God damn. Maybe, see, the fact that her heart was taken, maybe he had affection for her and she turned him down and then he just fucking went nuts on her. Maybe that's what happened. Or it seems clearly that that Ripper is somebody who did not like women. 
Yeah, this this might have been like the first incel in history. Definitely a possibility. <laughs> if you don't know what incel is, look it up. Uh, the Conical Five murders were perpetuated and I, blah, 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 I already read that. Um, historically, the belief that these five crimes were committed by the same man is derived from contemporary documents that link them together to the exclusion of others. In 1894, Sir Melville McNaughton, Assistant Chief Constable of the Metropolitan Police Service and head of the Criminal Investigation Department, wrote a report that stated, quote, the Whitechapel murderer had five victims and five victims only. Similarly, the Conical Five victims were linked together in a, uh, written, in a letter written by police surgeon Thomas Bond to Robert Anderson, head of the London CID, on November 10, 1888. Some researchers have posited that some of the murders were undoubtedly the work of a single killer, but an unknown larger... Oh, they were undoubtedly... Wait. Some research positive that the murders were undoubtedly the work of a single killer, but an unknown larger number of killers acting independently were responsible for the others. I don't know what the fuck that sentence says. Uh, are they trying to say researchers have positive that the murders were not the work of a single killer or were the work of a single killer? I think they're trying to say were not the work of a single killer. Well, they said they were undoubtedly the work of a single killer, but an unknown larger number of killers acting independently were responsible for the other crimes. The other, you know, because remember, they were mentioning uh, that there were uh, a large number of attacks uh, considered the Whitechapel murders. Yeah. Well, thank so, you. Thank you for saving me from my apparent mental retardation that I had just then. <laughs> yeah. So uh, our th author is Stuart P. Evans. There were 11 of them. So there's five that are considered to be linked to a single person. Okay. And the other, the other ones aren't. All right. May I continue? Yeah. Okay. Authors Stuart P. Evans and Donald Rumbelow argue that the Conical Five is quote Ripper is a Ripper myth, and that three cases Nichols, Chapman, and Eddowes can be definitely linked, but there is less certainty over Stride and Kelly. Conversely, others suppose that the six murders between Tabram and Kelly were the work of a single killer. Dr. Percy Clark, assistant to the examining pathologist George Baxter Phillips, linked only three of the murders and thought that the ones were per uh, perpetrated by, quote, weak-minded individuals induced to emulate the crime. Huh. McNaughton did not join the police force until the year after the murders, and his memorandum contains serious factual errors about possible suspects. Well, if that's the case, then why are you even bringing him up? So, because the guy's not even remotely legit. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. All right, what's next on the docket here? We have the late Whitechapel murders. Later Whitechapel murders. Mm-hmm. Kelly is generally considered to be the Ripper's final victim, and it is assumed that the crimes ended because of the culprit's death, imprisonment, institutionalism, or emigration. The Whitechapel murders file details and uh, the the Whitechapel's God damn it. The Whitechapel murders file details another four murders that happened after the Conical Five: those of Rose Millette, Alice McKenzie, the Pynchon Street torso, and Francis Coles. What the fuck? You don't get a name. You're just the Pynchon Street torso. Good yep. lord. Because they couldn't identify yeah. Yeah, I, a body. Jesus. 
There were probably a lot of the Butcher uh, Run. What is it? The, was it Butcher Run? Is that what it's Butcher called? of Kingsbury Run, yeah. Butcher of Kings, Kingsbury Run. There's probably a lot of that. I can identify who it was because butchered him so so badly that there was nothing that went to defining characteristics, no features. So I, I don't really feel like going over each individual person's, like, you know, murderation happening. Okay. We're just kind of like trying to establish, like you know, what this guy did, who he was, yeah, yeah, and um, you know, a little background on him. If you don't, well, just just a little bit of you know, just for people who want to maybe know what the heck the torso is. Oh yeah, there's a headless and legless torso of an unidentified woman found near a railway arch in Pynchon Street, Whitechapel, on September 10th of, 19, of 1889. It seems probable that the murder was committed elsewhere and that parts of the disembodied, dismembered body were dispersed for disposal. Why the fuck did you have to use dispersed and disposal with dismembered? Whatever. Yeah, they're using all kinds of words here that my brain doesn't like today. So, um, yeah, those aren't really considered a part of the actual uh jack the ripper murders like there's a potential there's potential that they might be but they're they're not official there's not as much uh linking them to jack the ripper as the other murders do uh there's other alleged victims but i'm not even gonna bother with that you want to just hit investigation so now we get with the investigation the surviving police files on the Whitechapel murders allow a detailed view of investigative procedure in the victorian era a large team of policemen conducted house-to-house inquiries throughout Whitechapel. Forensic material was collected and examined. Suspects were identified, traced, and either examined more closely or eliminated from the inquiry. Modern police work follows the same pattern, and more than 2,000 people were interviewed, upwards of 300 people were investigated, and 80 people were detained. The investigation was initially conducted by the Metropolitan Police Whitechapel Division Criminal Investigation Department, or CID, headed by the Detective Inspector Edmund Reed. After the murder of Nichols, Detective Inspectors Frederick Aberline, Henry Moore, and Walter Andrews were sent from the central office at Scotland Yard to assist. This is where you wish Sherlock Holmes was real, because then maybe you know he could really help them out and solve the case, Jack the Ripper. There actually is a film, it's called Murder by Decree, and it deals with Sherlock Holmes solving the case of Jack the Ripper. Oh, nice. So the city of London police were involved uh, under Detective Inspector James McWilliam after the Eddowes murder, which occurred within the city of London. The overall direction of the murder inquiries was hampered by the fact that the newly appointed head of the CID, Robert Anderson, was on leave in Switzerland between September 7th and October the 6th, during the time when, when Chapman, Stride, and Eddowes were killed. Yeah. But, I mean, to be fair, there's no way he would have been able to predict that, you know, the Ripper murders would happen at the same time as that he decided to take a vacation. This prompted Metro- Metropolitan Police Commissioner Sir Charles Warren to appoint Chief Inspector Donald Swanson to coordinate the inquiry from Scotland Yard. A group of volunteer citizens in London's East End called the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, patrolled the streets looking for suspicious characters, partly because of the dissatisfaction with the police effort. 
They petitioned the government to raise a reward for information about the killer and hired private detectives to question witnesses independently. Butchers, slaughterers, surgeons, and physicians. What's the difference between a butcher and a slaughterer? Uh, I, maybe a slaughterer is someone who just, is, their sole job is to, like, kill the animal, and the butcher actually cuts yeah. it up into the cuts of meat. Okay. Yeah. So it makes it, this definitely makes sense that the, these individuals who had uh, these particular jobs were suspects butchers, slaughterers, surgeons, and physicians because of the manner of the mutilations. A surviving note from Major Henry Smith, acting commissioner of the city police, indicates that the alibis were investigated of local butchers and slaughterers, with the result that they were eliminated from the inquiry. A report from Inspector Swanson to Home Office confirms that 76 butchers and slaughterers were visited and that the inquiry encompassed all their employees for the previous six months. Some contemporary figures, including Queen Victoria, thought the pattern of the murders indicated that the culprit was a butcher or a cattle drover on one of the cattle boats that piled between London and mainland Europe. Whitechapel was close to the London docks, and usually such boats were docked on Thursday or Friday and departed on Saturday or Sunday. Cattle boats were examined, but the dates of the murders did not coincide with a single boat's movements, and the transfer of a crewman between boats was also ruled out. Sorry, Queen. You're wrong. This is the one time where you can, like, tell the queen you're wrong. All right, guys, now for some sponsorships, because that is the oil that keeps this machine, known as Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, a-running, and a-running smoothly. So first, I'd like to talk to you about a company called Care Of. Care Of is a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. It's a new year, and you should have new health goals, apparently. This year, make health and wellness a top priority with the help of Care Of's monthly subscription vitamin service. Whether you're focused on glowing skin, boosting your energy levels, getting more sleep, or generally being healthy, uh, you can take Care Of's online quiz, and it will let you know exactly what you need. Care Of's fun online quiz asks you about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices and takes only five minutes to find out your personal, scientifically-backed vitamin and supplement recommendations. 90% of people fall short of FDA-recommended guidelines for at least one vitamin or nutrient. Find out where you're lacking with Care Of's online quiz and get back on track reaching your health goals. Getting your vitamins should be easy and convenient. It can be really hard to know what vitamins or supplements you should be taking. But Care Of makes it easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest. Experience the Care Of difference. A portion of every sale goes towards the Good Plus Foundation, which provides expectant mothers in need with valuable prenatal vitamins. For 25% off your first month of personalized Care Of vitamins, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter UUM50, so UM50. For get it for uncovering unexplained mysteries. Have you ever thought about talking to somebody but are unsure of where to start? BetterHelp makes it easy to connect with a licensed professional counselor. They are caring professionals specializing in the issues that you want to talk about. Join BetterHelp and get help at your own time and at your own pace. 
Schedule secure video and phone sessions or text your therapist worldwide, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's truly an affordable option, and Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries listeners get 10% off their first month with discount code UUM, as in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Once again, that's UUM, like, um, you know, like Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Yeah, I think they got it. If you've been wanting to talk, uh, you can get started right now. Go to betterhelp.com slash UUM. Simply fill out the questionnaire and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash UUM. Now, this is not a crisis line. They do have over 4,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. They're available worldwide. They have four communication modes, text, chat, phone, video. Uh, You can start communicating in under 24 hours. They're available on desktop, mobile web, Android, and iOS apps. Uh, It's easy to change counselors if needed. Uh, Broad expertise in the network, which may not be uh, locally available in many areas. Um, I can speak to a lot of this already. Uh, There's two pricing plans. One, the first plan is all the all-included plan, which is one weekly scheduled live session plus unlimited messaging. Or you have the second plan, which is, which is me- messaging only, uh, to which you can add scheduled video or phone sessions on a cost-per-session basis. Uh, financial aid is available for those who qualify. It's secure, convenient, professional, affordable, and you'll get... 10% off your first month with promo code UUM. So, there's a shit ton of suspects. We're not going to we're not going to go through all of them. There's one in particular though that I'm going to read the the uh, section from because this is a guy. This this particular suspect ties into uh the update to the case that has happened in the past uh, week or so. So you have uh, Montagu John Druitt, who was a barrister. Uh, he worked to supplement his income as an assistant schoolmaster in London until he was dismissed before his suicide. Um, I guess uh, he was linked to the the one of the first murders because he had a similarity between uh, when it comes to uh, the uh, eyewitness account of what the Ripper looked like. They have a guy named uh, Serowin Kozlowski, who is also known as George Chapman. The time of the Ripper murders, he lived in Whitechapel, London, where he'd been working under working as a barber under the name Ludwig, Ludwig Schlosky. Uh... Apparently, he was an immigrant. He he poisoned three of his wives and became known as a borough poisoner. And there were people who think he might have been a suspect is the fact that he poisoned people before. He actually killed people before, but he was ruled out because it was the Ripper murders were such a drastic change in his modus operandi. Michael Ostrog was a con man and a thief. 
but uh, there's no evidence that really connects them to anything. Uh, and also, author Philip Sudgen discovered prison records showing that Ostrog was jailed for petty offenses in France during the Ripper murders. John Pizer, he was a Polish Jew who worked as a bootmaker in Whitechapel. So, Police Sergeant William Thick apparently believed that he committed a, minor, a string of minor assaults on prostitutes. After the murders of Marianne Nichols and Ann Chapman, Thick was arrested on Pizer on the 10th of September. And... So, like, there's just some people who think he might have been a suspect because he would like to mess around with prostitutes. James Thomas Sadler... There wasn't a lot of evidence with this guy. He was just one of those guys who, I guess, just had a really strong temper and was an alcoholic. And he liked hanging around prostitutes. So he was a suspect because he hung around prostitutes. Francis Tumbletee. That's his name, Tumbletee. Very British. He earned a, f a small fortune posing as an Indian herb doctor throughout the United States and Canada and was commonly perceived as a misogynist and a quack. He was connected to the death of one of his patients, but escaped prosecution. Uh, he is a suspect because of the fact that he's a doctor, so he, he knows uh, his way around a body. So, already notorious in the States for self-promotion and previous criminal charges, his arrest was reported as connected to the Ripper murders, American reports that Scotland Yard tried to extradite him were not confirmed by the British press or the London police. And the New York City police said there's no proof in his complicity in the Whitechapel murders. The crime for which he is under bond in London is not extra extraditable. In 1913, Tumbletee was mentioned as a Ripper suspect by Chief Inspector John Littlechild and Metropolitan Police Service in a letter to journalists and offer George R. Sims. So then there's other people who just came up with suspects and the public and other offers just came up with other suspects, including Lewis Carroll. Yeah. Who's Lewis Carroll? He's the guy who wrote uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. Oh, wow. Damn. He was named as a suspect based upon anagrams, which offer Richard Wallace devised for his book, Jack the Ripper, The Lighthearted Fiend. Wallace argues that Carol had a psychotic breakdown after being assaulted by a homosexual when he was 12 and became an angry man. Moreover, according to Wallace, Carol wrote a diary every day in purple ink, but on the days of the Whitechapel killings, he switched to black. Oh, wow. How symbolic. So, yeah, there's there's more uh, suspects that are on uh, this uh, Wikipedia link. I put it in the description for the podcast so you can take a look for yourself. To see the other suspects. But the main one is Aaron Kosminski. Aaron Kosminski uh, was a Polish Jew who was admitted to the Conley Hatch Lunatic Asylum in 1891. Kosminski, without a forename, was named as a suspect by Sir Melville McNaughton in his 1894 memorandum and by former Chief Inspector Donald Swanson in handwritten comments in the margin of his copy of Assistant Commissioner Sir Robert Anderson's memoirs. Anderson wrote that a Polish Jew had been identified as the Ripper, but no prosecution was possible because the witness was also Jewish and refused to testify against a fellow Jew. Some authors are skeptical of this, while others use it in their theories. In his memorandum, McNaughton stated that no one was ever identified as the Ripper, which directly contradicts Anderson's recollection. In 1987, offer 
Martin Fido, that's an unfortunate name, searched asylum records for any in- inmates called Kosminski and only found one, Aaron Kosminski. Kosminski lived in Whitechapel. However, he was largely harmless. He was largely harmless in the asylum. His insanity took a form of auditory hallucinations, a paranoid fear of being fed by other people, a refusal to, to wash or bathe, and self-abuse. In his book, The Cases That Haunt Us, former FBI profiler John Douglas states that a paranoid individual such as Kazaminski would have likely have openly boasted about of the murders while incarcerated had he been the killer, but there's no record that he ever did so. So, in 2014, DNA analysis tenuously linked Kazaminski with a shawl said to have belonged to victim Catherine Eddowes, but there are experts, including Professor Sir Alec Jeffries, the inventor of genetic fingerprinting dismissed, dismissed the claims as unreliable. But then there was a recent one that happened fairly recently, which we'll get to soon enough. Over the course of the Ripper murders, the police, newspapers, and others received hundreds of letters regarding the case. Some were well-intentioned offers of advice for catching the killer, but the vast majority were useless. Hundreds of letters claimed to have been written by the killer himself, and three of these in particular are prominent. The, quote, Dear Boss letter, the Saucy Jackie postcard, and the <laughs> From Hell letter. I'm sorry, Saucy Jack. Saucy Jack, yeah, Saucy Jackie. So I'm reading the From Hell letter. That sounds like a, sounds like a nickname for uh, some, some friend somebody has named Jackie who just... No, she likes to get Sounds like the and... name of some fucking hipster wing bar or something. Like, with their fucking douchey IPAs and, and all yeah. their fucking tattoos. Yeah, Saucy Jackie. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's kind of like old and steampunk, but it's like, you know, not. And, you know, it's but it's like, you know, it sounds old, but like everything here is like cutting edge technology. <laughs> like our card readers and our bathrooms are the wa- those water-free urinals and... You know, you played at places like that, I guess. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just a bitter old. I, actually, I'm fucking starving because it's like seven sixteen here, and this is the latest uh, we've done this podcast in a while, and I'm like dying right now. But anyway, I'm holding it together. All right, so the dear boss letter dated twenty five, the twenty fifth of September, was postmarked the twenty seventh of September, eighteen eighty eight. It was received that day by the Central News Agency and was forwarded to Scotland, Scotland Yard. Scotland, Scotland, Charlie, <laughs> to Scotland Yard. You just want to say that in a, a Massachusetts Boston accent. Scotland Yard, Scott to Scotland Yard on the 29th of September. Initially, it was considered a hoax, but when Eddowes uh, was found three days after the letter's postmark, with one ear partially cut off, the letter's promise to clip, uh, quote, clip the lady's ears off, gained attention. Edo's ear ap- appears to have been nicked by the killer incidentally during his attack, and the letter writer's threat to send the ears to the police was never carried out. The name, quote, Jack the Ripper was first used in this letter by the signatory and gained worldwide notoriety after its publication. Most of the letters that followed copied this letter's tone. Some sources claim that another letter dated September 17th, 1888, was the first to use the name Jack the Ripper, but most experts believe that this was a fake inserted into police records in the 20th century. The Saucy Jack postcard was postmarked (laughs) October 1st, 1888, and was received the same day by the Central News Agency. The handwriting was similar to the, quote, Dear Boss letter. It mentions the two victims were killed very close to one another. Quote, 
double event this time, end quote, which was thought to refer to the murders of Stride and Eddowes. It has been argued that the letter was posted before the murders were publicized, making it unlikely that a crank would have such knowledge of the crime. But it was postmarked more than 24 hours after the killings took place, long after details were known and being published by journa- mm. journalists and talked about by residents of the area. Now, I would say in 2019, yeah, you know, 24 hours is a long time. But back in 18-fucking-88, I mean, I don't know. I, I, well, I mean, they did have newspapers, you know. And and a lot of people talked about stuff on the streets, so. Yeah, the street, the whole talking on the street and he, like, I don't know. I'm imagining it back in those days, everything was in, like, super close walking distance and you could just, like, walk up to the cobblestone police department and put your ear up to the window and, like, just easily hear, you know, something and eavesdrop. And it's not as, like, sophisticated as it is now as far as no. all that stuff goes. The From Hell letter was received by George Lusk, leader of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, on October 16th, 1888. Um, The handwriting and style is unlike that of the Dear Boss letter and Saucy Jack postcard. The letter came with a small box in which Lusk discovered half of a kidney, preserved in, quote, spirits of wine, which was ethanol. Edo's left kidney had been removed by the killer, the writer claimed that, quote, he fried and ate the missing kidney half. There is disagreement over the kidney. Some contend that it belonged to Eddowes, while other argues that it was a, a macabre practical joke. The kidney was examined by Dr. Thomas Openshaw of the London Hospital, who determined that it was human and from the left side. But, contrary to false news reports, he could not determine any other biological characteristics. Openshaw subsequently also received a letter signed Jack the Ripper. Scotland Yard published facsimiles of the, quote, Dear Boss letter and uh, the postcard on October 3rd in the ultimately vain hope that someone would recognize the handwriting. Charles Warren explained in a letter to Godfrey Lushington. Now, that's a fucking British name. Godfrey Lushington. (laughs) Of, I don't know. So Charles Warren explained in a letter to Godfrey Lushington a uh, permanent undersecretary of the state for the ho- uh, home department, quote, I think the whole thing a hoax, but of course we are bound to try and ascertain the writer in any case. On October 7th, 1888, George R. Sims in the Sunday newspaper referee implied scathingly that the letter was written by a journalist, quote, to hurl the circulation of a newspaper sky high. That's a possibility. Yeah. Police officials later claim to uh, have identified a specific journalist as the author of both the Dear Boss letter and the postcard. The journalist was identified as Tom Bullen in a letter from Chief Inspector John Littlechild to George R. Sims dated the 23rd of September 1913. A journalist called Fred Best reportedly confessed in 1931 that he and a colleague at The Star had written the letters signed Jack the Ripper to heighten interest in the murders and to keep business wow. alive. What a dick. So he's not the best. Oh my god, Mike. That was a good that was a good <laughs> one. That was a good dad joke. I don't even know what that was. That was what they call a groaner. Yeah, but that's the point. Yeah. Like, apparently. <laughs> so um the From Hell letter, yeah, I can see why that's a letter that's really uh received a lot of notoriety. I mean, it came with a half a kidney. Like, fucking hell. Well, that's like, dude, it's like he, he fits the psychological profile of, uh, what was it, the uh, Zodiac killer, like, mailing in the uh, piece of uh, mm-hmm. blood-soaked uh, shirt from the cab driver. 
Yeah. I mean, these people, yeah, it's like all a game to them. They're not like, they're not regular human beings. There's a mental deficiency where they do not see human beings as like, you know, something that you should. There's no empathy. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, there is a break in the case. Uh, DNA evidence. Uh, forensic scientists uh, actually linked the Ripper to, uh, well, they linked uh, Kaminsky, who was uh, a prime suspect, to the murders. So researchers say they have finally unmasked Jack the Ripper, the infamous serial killer who terrorized London in the eight, late 1800s. A forensic investigation published in the journal Forensic Sciences has identified the killer as Aaron Kaminsky, the 23-year-old Polish barber and prime suspect at the time. Kaminsky was previously named as a suspect over 100 years ago, and once again in a 2014 book by British businessman and Ripper researcher Russell Edwards. But the latest finding marks the first time that Edwards's DNA evidence has been published in a peer-reviewed journal, according to the magazine Science. To our knowledge, this is the most advanced study to date regarding this case. The study offers wrote, Jack the Ripper is believed to have killed at least five women in the Whitechapel district of London between August and November of 1888. Researchers Jerry Lulehalen uh, and David Miller ran genetic tests on a soak shawl stained with blood and semen that investigators say was found next to the body of the killer's fourth victim, Catherine Eddowes, science reported. It's really kind of... It, the, the magazine is literally called Science. So it just sounds like, well, science reported <laughs> yeah. that science itself reported that there were this was found at the scene of the crime. So researchers compared fragments of mitochondrial DNA, which the magazine noted is inherited from one's mother, to samples from living relatives of Edo's and Kosminski, and found that they matched those of Kosminski's relative. The study also includes an anal analysis of the killer's appearance, which suggests the killer had brown hair and brown eyes, which matches the only reliable witness statement according to science. The study's findings may not satisfy other Ripper experts, who say the shawl may have been contaminated over the years. The shawl was given to Lulean by Edwards, a self-proclaimed armchair detective, and the author of Naming Jack the Ripper, who brought it at an auction in 2007, I've got the only piece of forensic evidence in the history of the case. He told the newspaper in 2014. I've spent 14 years working on it, and we have definitely solved the mystery of who Jack the Ripper was. I don't know. The more that I, that I think about it, it doesn't seem like it's like an open and shut thing. Here. Because unlike nowadays, where you can directly link like genetic, like DNA evidence, like to the scene of the crime and to a specific individual. Like this is a, this is linking it to a relative. And like people said, like the, the shawl could be contaminated. Like, well, how do we know? I mean, it's kind of convenient. Like he buys it at an auction and there's evidence on it, you know? Right. So what do you think about, uh, Jack the Ripper. Do you think Kosminski did it, or do you think it was somebody else? I mean, it happened so long ago, and and with their lack of of technology and DNA evidence, forensics, you know, yeah. all that back then, uh, I, you know, it's so it's so hard to to really say. Um, 
people can speculate on it all they want. But I mean, I think I just think it boils down to like back in that in that period, it was just uh-huh. a lot easier to not. It was easier to get away with something if you were really cunning about it. And uh, things like forensics couldn't couldn't bust your ass like it can now. Like if you yeah. were just a really good liar or really like mm-hmm. smooth talker, you could kind of get your way out of things. And conversely, if you maybe uh, seemed guilty or it, things pointed to you being the one who was the guilty one, I think back in those times you could get fucked and be executed or arrested for something you absolutely didn't do. And you didn't have forensics to rescue yep. you in that situation as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so when it comes to Kosminski and the, the blood relative uh, DNA evidence... Um, you know the the uh, Edos was a prostitute. Maybe he had sex with her around the same time, and uh, his DNA ended up on her shawl. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's the killer. I mean, she's a prostitute, so. But I could see why people would think that would. Be, I mean, because it it does seem to link things together because he's a prime suspect. Um. But it is kind of crazy. It's a guy who has like hallucinations and stuff, and he's not really that uh, clear-headed. And these these attacks seem to be really uh, precise in turn and surgical. Yeah, it, in precision. Very, I mean, like it. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like Jack the Ripper moved from Whitechapel and and uh, you know moved from there to live in. Uh, kingsbury run or something you know because like they were so similar that would have never happened you know oh yeah no i I know unless you know unless he had a time machine which is another uh uh, film that a plot well no i mean he he, time after time he would deals with uh hg wells going back in time and trying to stop jack the ripper who has traveled to modern day in the late 70s yeah, but I mean, this guy, the butcher of Kingsbury Run, uh, he dismembered at least... I think it was early 80s, actually. Uh, he dismembered at least um, 12 victims. Yeah. Well, I do feel that the theory that that's uh, posited in the Unsolved Mystery segment, that it was some kind of doctor or something, like, I definitely believe that's the case with the butcher of Kingsbury Run. Yeah. Like, I think it was that guy who was the son of some really powerful uh, person, called politician... Because I I think that's a pretty uh, solid suspect. Uh, we haven't talked is, about is that, that case. We need to we need to do that. I thought we did. Did we, Elliot Ness? I thought we did. I don't remember talking about it. We could have though. <laughs> and but when it comes to Jack the Ripper, like yeah, I do feel that it's either a barber or you know some kind of uh, surgeon for sure. And it could have easily been a foreigner. Could have been somebody who just traveled, you know, hung out. Did some sadistic shit and then flew, you know, headed somewhere else. No, we have not done no, Elliot Ness got yet. Got in a boat. Got in a boat and just got out of there. Yeah. I could have swore I remember talking about that with you. Yeah, I'm sure we did <laughs> talk about it, but we we maybe it's one of those that we our audio was fucked and no you know, we, we just there was really very there to. were very few segments that we actually recorded but didn't actually put out because they were or it's one we planned on doing and we talked about it but we didn't have time 
Yeah. And we just forgot about it. Well, that that's one we need to fucking do at some point. But I want to cover. Well, I want to cover Elliot Rogers next week. I, <laughs> I can't wait to. I can't wait to get to that little twerp. <laughs> so anyway, uh, this is a short one, but uh, Mike's got some shit he's going through with his debit card, and I got to shoot this music video. So we're gonna have to end this one a little early, folks. Sorry about the. Well, I didn't really have anything else to say either. Yeah, I mean, mean I just with Jack the Ripper, I I, I don't. I think there's a chance that it could be Kuzminski, but I also think there's also a chance that it might not be him, and we just don't know who the sus- the the killer is still. And the theories, though, some of the theories are, are silly. Like it was, it was a woman. Like okay, all right, maybe, but that's highly unlikely in that time period. But okay, um, but that's a there's potential for that, I guess. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I, I'm going to say no. I, I'm so, uh, Call me sexist, but I just don't think a woman... <laughs> I just don't think a woman would ever do that. I, I, th- I don't think... To another woman? No, yeah. would you, just... I, I just don't think women would... would, would, uh, would I think that's like a fucking male uh, insanity thing. <laughs> but I mean, look at look at what... Uh, uh, oh, um, another infamous uh, crime. Uh, the... Uh, Damn it! What's her fucking name? The one with the axe. Oh, um, yeah, Lizzie Borden. Yeah, Lizzie Borden. Yeah, that's true. All right, I apologize for my sexism out there, ladies. Anyway, that's the end of the podcast. If you want to check out me and Mike separately, but always entertainingly equally, you can uh, look us up on YouTube. Mike is youtube.com slash OCP Communications. He's a movie guy. He talks about movies. Mike, what was the last movie you talked about? Well, um. I did talk about Southern Comfort, but I haven't posted the review yet. And the last video I did was like a video where I was talking about different bits of movie news. I did see Us, uh, Jordan Peele's newest horror film, and I thought it was a disappointing mixed bag. So definitely not the masterpiece that people are are already saying it is. Oh, really? They're like, they're acting like it's some masterpiece? I mean, I saw it looked all right. I mean... It looked it looked it looked very cliche. Well, visually, visually it's impressive, but story-wise it's got a got a fair share of problems. Is there any comedy in it at all? Yeah, there is, and it's not as effective as the comedy in Get Out. Ah, uh, okay. Just like the social commentary in Us isn't as effective as the social commentary in Get Out and Get Out Jordan Peele it was an idea he had in mind and he was working on the film for like years and you could tell that there was time and you know a, a long time put uh, of uh, worth of effort that was put into the screenplay uh and the social commentary was not muddled at all it was sim- it was dealing with class and race and with us it's to me, it's all over the place. It's like, is it talking about the U.S. itself? Like us, you know, in U.S., is it? Ta- there's more dealing with class, and there's a little bit of race, but then there's some other stuff that I'm not quite sure about. Is it trying to deal with like, oh, you know, people aren't who they think they are, blah, 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 paranoia, whatever, uh, the governments, you can't trust the governments, uh, you know, that kind of... It's one of those, like... Really did not hand, in my opinion, handle the the social commentary as well. But there are people who are more than likely going to crucify me and try to roast me for you know 
saying that and be like, you just didn't get it. Yeah, I'm starting to learn how YouTube works is whatever the group think uh, popular opinion is, uh, that's the one that you have to just make a video about and just and just like parrot the popular opinion. And if you don't, mm -hmm. everyone's going to downvote your video and criticize you and pile on. Yeah. And, and then they're going to be like, well, you didn't get it or you're stupid or they'll say things like, oh, you're just trying to be uh, uh, the contrary. You're just trying to have the contrary opinion. You're just trying to be controversial or whatever to get clicks. It's like why I get less clicks sometimes when I do videos like that. But I have noticed if I do a video that ultimately does not share you know well i'm not going to put rant in the title because i just don't want to do that but because that'll just incite more people to give me shit right uh but it's one of those things that yeah it's going to be an interesting video when i decide to record it because there's a lot of i got a lot of thoughts about it but well, that's uh, like me what, that's like the last video you did right Huh. Like you and what? I was I was just saying like the whole like uh, I did I did that Michael Jackson video and that's not my most recent video. Um, but the um, dude, I was about the Leaving Neverland documentary. I said I don't fucking know in that video. I said I don't know. That's yeah. my main. I don't know if he and you know what? Neither do you, and neither do you listen out there, or neither do these fucking keyboard warriors. Who are giving me shit. None of you motherfuckers know what really <laughs> happened. So shut the fuck so up. So were they giving you shit Dude, for like having uh, yeah, the like you, you weren't like he's guilty. No, that, like 100% like, like he's guilty. The video's getting like, yeah, it's got more upvotes than downvotes, but it's got a yeah. shitload of downvotes. It's like one third of the people yeah. who watch the video. Well, there's probably some people, you know, who were the people who are like, they don't want to hear the uh, the opinion that he might be innocent. They don't want to hear it at all. Or that he might so be guilty. Who Dude, there are some, or that he might be there's guilty. There's so many more people online who are like like now that uh, and, and i even pin pin the well there's less there's let there's more people right now doing the whole he's guilty shit like if you look at comment no, section bullshit, on michael jackson bullshit. Stuff, everyone's saying no. that he's innocent well you see that a lot on youtube stuff yeah. but like if you go on other like pieces of media like you go on like a website that's sharing an article or something like there's a few people who are like he's innocent, but there's like a shit ton of people who are like no. Well, he's that's guilty, the, that's stupid. what's so funny about uh, mainstream media versus YouTube is they're they're pushing a narrative, right? They're pushing a narrative that he's guilty. They've they in the court of public opinion they have sentenced Michael guilty, and in the court of you know, well they did that ever since the trial. Well, no, but like, my point is you gotta new. let me finish. My point is is that. If you actually put it in the hands of the people, aka YouTube, they're all going, he's innocent, and here's all the facts to back that up. It's like, fuck yeah. you, liberal media, with your fucking bias to automatically jump to the most, whatever you feel is going to be the politically correct and save your ass the most well, yeah. uh, decision. And again, I say all that. They do the research. They do the detail. You know, they do the digging, you know, that the, the media doesn't decide to do. Yeah. And, and that's great. And, I, and that's why do. it's cool that there is a, a site like YouTube. But at the same time, it's like, guys, don't come at me like you're all fucking paralegals all of a sudden because you saw a few YouTube <laughs> videos where people uh, did some research of their own and and now well that being said i mean that they, they, they still you know they're 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 bringing up information you know like that one guy who's nice and left a comment you know who had like all this information that yeah but you know, even really in those did. cases it's like verify that shit don't just read uh, don't just look at a video don't they, just uh, there's other stuff that's all that stuff in the video is verified because like the clips and stuff like that's 
Right, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying in general. I'm not saying in this specific instance. But but what annoys me is just how people. You know what I'm talking about. It's like they they see a few videos. They automatically give they give verification to claims. Like for instance, whether it's innocence or guilt. So it's it's the automatic validation of uh, uh, allegation. Like an allegation comes out, and there's this automatic validation to it, which is a really fucked up thing. Because, you know, it should be innocent until proven guilty, not guilty until proven innocent. Like, that's not how the law works for a reason. Right. Because anybody could just be uh, witch hunted in that case. Anybody that people decide they don't like, you know. So, yeah, that I understand. Anyway, my latest video on my YouTube channel, which is YouTube.com slash Dancing with Ghosts, is me... Uh, tearing into the lackluster snooze fest lineup of Woodstock 50th anniversary, which is happening in 2019 later on this year. In uh, I saw some August. some of my friends on Facebook. They were like, "Man, I like to go," you know. And they were like, "It's, it's a great, uh, you know, great selection." No, it's a. It, I think it just depends on your music taste. right and i come at it from i come it i come for, at it from my music taste but even objectively my music taste aside they literally got so much fucking indie folk bands uh these tired <laughs> sleepy sounding indie folk bands to play this festival and it's not at all a cross-section of the music that is out there maybe that's all that they could get maybe 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 they're i think i think uh the fire festival really really messed with a lot of you know big name stars and they were just like i don't want to deal with the festival thing i don't want to deal with that i don't know woodstock's a, a, a woodstock's a trusted the name festival. and they've they've been around yeah, doing it since the six, but, 69 so i mean i don't know if yeah, that but that's the woodstock case hasn't been hasn't had the same like i didn't even know like there had been 50 woodstocks you no, know there hasn't been 50 woodstocks this is the 50th anniversary oh, of the, the first 50th one. anniversary yeah okay. so you were right in not thinking that there was 50 because there hasn't been but my thing is, is like Woodstock 94 and Woodstock 99 had such a diverse lineup on there of just great bands. Oh, that's why. Because Woodstock, the 90, one of the 90s one was such a fucking nightmare that I think there were people who still associate Woodstock. Well, yeah, Woodstock 99 was that. a nightmare. And I, I honestly like I didn't say I meant to say this in the video, but I forgot. But I honestly feel like they chose a lot of their acts like this boring ass music to sedate the audience and and have them not riot. Yes. Because that's what that's what I that's what I'm thinking. Because like they had like Limp Biscuit and Corn and all that and whatever you feel about their music is irrelevant. I mean their music is very high energy, very um you know could incite aggression in in certain, you know, people especially if they've been drinking and shit. And that's not the band's fault. That's that's that comes down to the person who's a jackass who can't hold yeah. his liquor, but I mean, yeah, I think that's another reason for it. But I mean, that's a stupid reason. But yeah, the the lineup is just very milk toast. Uh, no, no real like exciting bands. Uh, uh, such an underrepresentation for rock as a whole. There's only like six rock bands on the entire uh, three days. All the others are just literally like folk mm-hmm. indie uh, with some hip hop acts throw- sprinkled in here and there that are ju- again even the hip hop acts are just so random and. Uh, not well thought out in my in my opinion. So that's my latest video. I'm about to keel over from starvation. Uh, I will. We will see you guys later on. Have a good rest of your week. Don't die.
See ya. Ladies and gentlemen, my new album, Hex, is finally available on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere else where music can be found. Also, we still have our special edition physical CD available at bandcamp.com. Check the link in the description of this podcast. Now enjoy some of the samples from my new CD. The Justice.